Hello, and thank you for joining me on this episode of the Emotional Alchemy Podcast. Before we get into our conversation today, I want to share that the doors for Business Alchemist Mentorship are now open. I created this program to help space holders step toward their in-person or online businesses as a spiritual practice. I know you have medicine you want to share with the world, and honestly, this is why I feel so passionate about this work as a business mentor. It makes my heart feel expansive and warm when I think about how different this world would be if you, as a pattern breaker and as a change maker, felt empowered about sharing your work with your community. It's my way of shifting the tide of extractivist, capitalistic ways of existing. I will be your guide so you can explore the emotional blocks that keep you spinning in circles, and I share practical nuts and bolts principles that will keep your business humming along. We try to keep a solid balance of yin and yang around here. This program is centered on safety, intimate connection with community, and moving at the pace of trust, nature, and purpose. The curriculum and coaching I share is framed on the backdrop of my experience as a trauma-informed practitioner. If you're feeling curious, go check out my website, businessalchemistmentorship.com. We will begin this next cohort in mid-June, and it will be the only time I'm running it in 2024. I recently did an entire overhaul of the curriculum and felt that it needed a whole year to move through instead of the nine-month program it used to be, and I'm keeping it at this nine-month price one last time before I raise prices in 2025. Again, the website is businessalchemistmentorship.com, and I would love to have you join our community. Hello and welcome to the Empowered Curiosity podcast. I am like no joke kind of fangirling out over here because (laughs) I've got Kayoni Hanale on the show and he has such a intimate relationship with his medicine and there are so many parallels between his lineage and my lineage and I've been wanting to have this conversation for I don't know I want to say like close to a year because I've been following your material for about a year and I finally like came up with the courage to ask you to be on the show so thank you so much for being here oh my gosh it's such an honor thank you so much Kat this is uh, really lovely for me to share with you and like you're sharing as well, there are so many similarities with, you know, holding and, and really being the caretakers of traditional medicine. And so I'm so happy uh, to be on this platform with you. Mahalo. Mm. <laughs> I think for me, this like sense of familiarity, like came straight through, like even just in our emails back and forth to each other, because you immediately started calling me sister and calling yourself brother and to me it 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 was sort of weird hearing it in the English language but like that's how we call each other in my Korean language is you know you meet anybody and they are immediately brother sister and that camaraderie and just that connection and and I don't know this relationship back to community like that helped me drop into this space of like, oh my gosh, like this is going to be such a safe 
and lovely conversation. So I just wanted to share that right off the bat. <laughs> oh, mahalo. And you know, you're so on it with that because there seems to be this really this focus today on what makes us different. And so, you know, when we can uh, refer to one another in these endearing ways and really honest, endearing ways, such as brother and sister. And I also refer to people that I talk to as cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really highlighting what makes us uh, similar. Yeah. And ultimately that's human beings. Yeah. And so celebrating that. Yeah. yeah. And I think of language as being like spell work. And so if we can like this, we have so much division in our world right now that if we can even just start out the conversation by saying, I am related to you in the human race. And can we try to see the similarity instead of the difference? Like, I think that that would already shift so many things that I, I struggle with, you know, witnessing in the world right now. Yeah. My, you know, my kupuna, my elders would always say when you approach conversations or you approach other people, um, the key is to make it friendly, Mm. make it friendly. And so, you know, that's really been like a driving force for me and how I interact with people and not just with other people, but how I interact with myself. I'm always available that my field is friendly enough that I'm engaged and and the curiosity is genuine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that sort of brings me to what I wanted to actually talk about with you um, on this episode, which is this friendliness that you have in terms of your ancestral medicine. So um, I think I would love to have you um, maybe share a little bit about what your work is all about for my audience who doesn't really know. And um, it's so unusual to have somebody in the Hawaiian culture sharing so freely and with friendliness about what the medicine is. Um, so yeah, can you, can you share with my audience what your work is all about before we get into like the juicy stuff? <laughs> yes. Mahalo. Thank you, sister. Um, yeah, you know, I come from uh, archaic Hawaiian culture and archaic Hawaiian culture we call mu or mu. And this is a prehistoric culture that has existed in the middle of the Pacific. And some also would refer to this as Lemuria. Um, so that would encompass uh, most part of the Pacific Ocean. I, I will speak only on behalf of that which is located in the Hawaiian Islands, uh, which spans from uh, Hawaii Island all the way up to the islands, which people don't know about, which is called Papahanamokuakea. And these are the northwestern Hawaiian Islands, which are really just shoals and atolls now, but they used to be just as large as the main Hawaiian Islands. So I will only speak on behalf of this because this is what I'm versed in. Mm -hmm. Um, I come from a long line of what we uh, call in the Hawaiian language, maka'ula or mystics. And uh, the skill of the mystics uh, have been caretakers of my lineage, uh, my mo'oku'au for a very long time. My lineage spans uh, 20,000 years uh, to 18,000 BC. Um, This doesn't mean that my lineage stops at 18,000 BC. This just suggests that something happened prior to that, and it took um, some time for my lineage to recover Mm. um, and then resurrect once again um, our traditions. 
uh, the tradition that we've always held in this Mo'okuaohao, this lineage spanning to 18,000 BC. This is 1,017 generations, by the way. Mm. Um, that primary generation that resurrected uh, the lineage, uh, something known as Pua Ehu Ehu. And Pua Ehu Ehu translates as fern medicine. It's a type of plant medicine. And ferns have been really obscure in like the culture of botany and even esoterics <laughs> uh, since I've known mm-hmm. at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and in our uh, doctrines, uh, ferns are very unique uh, because they hold the codes to human emotions. Now, uh, there's something that I just would love to share about uh, ferns in their physiology uh, that's incredibly unique, that coincides with why they are the carriers of human emotions. Ferns are the only species on this planet that we know have attained uh, evolutionary stasis and evolutionary stasis, other words, in homeostasis, means that something has completely evolved. It's completely evolved. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, a really interesting and potent thing about something that has achieved uh, full evolution means that it's also no longer required to accumulate data. Mm. And like sister, you and I and all of we human beings, we're still accumulating data which also uh, offers us the potential to become corrupted, Mm -hmm. to become polluted. And if we look around our world today and the most interesting thing in our world, and I mean, we have all the evidence to show this, the most interesting thing is war. Mm -hmm. And this would uh, suggest how um, we have become corrupted with that to which we are ingesting, that to which we find most interesting and are inviting into our field. Mm -hmm. The ferns in achieving evolutionary stasis, uh, they do not accumulate data, Mm -hmm. um, which means they are pure, Mm -hmm. pristine. Mm -hmm. Um, At the shift of what has been known more popularly as the Kali Yuga, um, in Hawaiian we would say po'apo, the Kali Yuga is considered a spiritual dark age. And I first want to also give the disclaimer that we didn't do anything wrong. Uh, this is uh, cyclical and it's purposeful. Mm-hmm. But a spiritual dark age would uh, also suggest that it is, has a potential of being a time of great corruption as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there was a concern that uh, the human emotion which is our electrical experience. A world based in form and structure, the emotions is the electrical experience. It's really the fuel and the generator of the human event. There is a concern that it might become corrupted. And so the ferns volunteered to hold the codes of human emotions until the time is hemolele or perfect Mm. for humans to once again integrate and express Mm -hmm. the electrical experience. And being that you and I are having this conversation right now would suggest that the time is hemolele. It's time for us to once again integrate and express our human electrical experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just want to chime in and refer people to episode two of your podcast because that was such a 
potent episode. Um, before we started recording, I, I shared with you that I like wait with anticipation for each one of your episodes to show up um, because there's so much wisdom um, in how you speak of each of these ferns. And, and I get the sense that you're trying to create like a form of a catalog um, of, of sharing this wisdom with uh, the greater global community, which I want to say I have so much gratitude for your share because not many people are willing to share this wisdom of their ancestral esoteric wis- like knowledge because there's this fear of exploitation. And to me, this is what I found myself being drawn to in terms of, of not just your, your work, but just your openness in being able to share and, and from this place of, of wanting to preserve this this work and this ancient wisdom and i i'm gonna butcher the word but i was listening to the episode about preservation this morning in preparation for this conversation hapu ii did i say that oh beautiful beautiful you got it got it sister (laughs) and so many of our listeners of this podcast are spiritual entrepreneurs And I've had this conversation in so many different iterations of how can we participate in spirituality if there's a deeper resonance with a tradition or a cultural lineage that's not what they grew up with or that's not a part of their actual DNA lineage. And so how can we bring this medicine of hapui'i as we share, you know, in in this collective medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mahalo. I, I first want to start off by saying there's something that my kupuna told me because the Hawaiian culture, just like many other indigenous cultures, a lot of the knowledge and the wisdom has been held in secrecy. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and, and that secrecy has been translated as exclusive. And we have a saying in Hawaiian, ua noa, it's wide and free. At some point, uh, someone has to become a leader and say it's ua noa. My kupuna, like uh, kupuna means elder. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hawaiian elders uh, speak like many other indigenous elders where they don't really say it outright. Mm -hmm. It's cryptic, Mm -hmm. right? That's part of the work is you have to uh, learn how to decipher that. That's why my kupuna would always say before you learn how to speak, you must first learn to be a poet, so my kupuna said, uh, don't make the children come to you. Go to the children. Mm. And I knew just by translating that poetry, I knew that they said that it's okay to contemporize traditions. Mm. Because here's the thing. Um, if the tradition, if the knowledge is no longer relatable Uh, that will signal its collapse. And if we really view the behaviors and the codes that the Gen Z and the Gen Alpha are coming into, something that's really unique about the Gen Z and Gen Alpha is that they do not require permission of a past in order to innovate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, the older generations, we are very, very loyal to asking permission of the past in order to innovate. Mm -hmm. So I've had to take it upon myself to say, I'm going to meet the children where they're at, and I'm going to contemporize the traditions in order to make it relatable so that it interests these generations and these generations by way of their own consent choose to carry it forward as a legacy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that too, because in that way, you're treating culture as a living, evolving spirit in and of itself. And you're honoring culture's need, culture's desire to grow um, instead of being locked and frozen in time and eventually like through mm, not being relevant it gets lost and forgotten you know yes um, yes yes it's it's uh important that we uh recognize that uh the human event itself and everything comprised of the human event is mutable mm -hmm. It's not rigid, it's not fixed. And if we review patriarchy, patriarchy is not compatible to that. And the reason is, is because patriarchy holds something above all else, and that's known as control. Mm -hmm. There's a deep need to control. And if something is unpredictable, if something is allowed to evolve, it becomes unpredictable, and therefore it's no longer compatible to control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm feeling sort of called to share that like part of my, my questioning and, and wondering of like, how do we share this medicine um, comes from a place where I feel like my medicine has been deeply exploited. So like I was trained as an acupuncturist that was like the first half of my career was as an acupuncturist. And if you take that lineage back to its roots, it comes from esoteric knowledge and it comes from Taoist practices and it comes from Taoist philosophy. And what is being taught in acupuncture schools now is so fractured from that spirit, from the medicine. And, mm -hmm. and, when I am a participant of other people's traditional medicines, I want to be mindful of the fact that I too have the capacity to exploit and not wanting to do onto other traditions what's been done to mine has been a, a, a deep, like, I don't even know if I can put it into words, but like this like deep concern and... Um, and, and there's almost this, like, I, I want you to continue sharing. And I also want to like bubble wrap that knowledge <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> um, and, and so I'm curious about how can we, as the, you know, the keepers of the medicine, and also as the receivers of the medicine, like how can we hold mm, healthy boundaries around this? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. You know, sister, there is something that's been quite disruptive with transferring uh, traditional medicine in the realm of contemporary life, and that's called trendy. Mm -hmm. It's trendy. And people are very uh, dazzled. It's glamorous to be in a trend. Mm -hmm. And so here's my advice. My advice is anything which holds a sacred doctrine, first and foremost, know its principle well. Know its principle well. I'm saying this because we get dazzled by everything that surrounds it. That's the glamour of it. So penetrate all of that, locate its core principle, and become loyal to that. Know that well, because guess what's going to happen when you apply loyalty to a core principle? It will guide you. Mm -hmm. It will clarify. Mm -hmm. That's what you hold counsel with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you can't be led astray because you have become indoctrinated into a core principle. Mm. That's so beautiful because that's, that's honestly like how I feel is like I am practicing Taoist medicine in the realm of spiritual business mentorship and it feels more pure to me than when I was actually practicing with needles in acupuncture. And, and I think that there's something about taking that traditional wisdom and also making it your own, which I see you doing beautifully as well, is it's not just like, hey, I am just regurgitating what my elders have taught me it's like you've actually sat with maiden hair fern and asked you know what she has to offer what she has to say Mm -hmm. and that becomes the like mm, almost the roadmap for other people to be able to take up that mantle and be like okay so how can i expand on this in my own way as well Mm-hmm. You know, there's something more beautiful than imposing, convincing, and manipulating or exploiting, and that's called inspiring. Mm-hmm. Inspiring uh, the, the, the science and the spirituality of the word inspiration is incredibly organic. It just feels right. It's organic. You'll know when you feel inspired. Mm -hmm. And that's why going to the body, right? There's a lot of distraction that's happening around us. There's a lot of debris, right? We get to place ourselves in the body so we know how to feel once again. What's what's the, well, the conduit to feeling? It's intuition. Mm -hmm. It's it's the clairvoyance, clairsending, all the clairs, right? It requires a body. Mm It needs to be placed somewhere in the body. And, you know, in the spiritual community, the body is uh, very dismissed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, I I have this conversation a lot that the spiritual community is uh, can have a tendency of being more parts escape Mm -hmm. uh, than placement, practicality Mm -hmm. and responsibility. Um, All our signals, our sonar. Um, our rights of really enhancing those skills to which I spoke, it requires 
the body. So place ourselves. You know, my kupuna would always say, Kino et maroko Allah. It's in the, uh, the uh, ancient language. Mm-hmm. Kino et maroko Allah. And that means stay in the body and radiate. Mm. Mm-hmm. And to me, like, like, this is where I feel like our work, even though we are literally continents apart in philosophy, like there's something beautiful about being able to come to similar language, even though we've been apart, you know, because in that statement, I hear this is the embodiment of yin and yang coming together, you know, like we need the rootedness and the intentionality of yin, which is held in the body. And then from there, aligned action can come through. And that is yang. And, you know, I think that there's something so fundamental about just sitting and being in our bodies and being with nature. And in some ways, that is the only teachings that we need, you know, not to say that we don't take in from from other wise people. But to me, like, I find that nature is is my church is is my the only spiritual healer that I need. Mm-hmm. So beautifully spoken too, and you know, n- nature of course, nahele as we say in the language has been incredibly uh, uh, nourishing for me because one thing about. Uh, the natural world and when we go into a forest that uh, is a little different from the current human condition is that the natural world does not seek alternatives. Mm. It's content with its placement. Mm -hmm. It's placement. Mm -hmm. And humans, uh, especially when we uh, have come into this world of privilege, uh, we are so obsessed with seeking alternatives that we can never really find our placement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I feel like that's why there's such a huge disruption. And also in order for us to uh, really achieve uh, intimacy, mm-hmm. and of course there's the intimacy with others, but I'm also talking about the intimacy with oneself. It requires placement. Yeah. 100%. And, you know, that, that sense of placement, you know, we are so, um, I don't know, like there's this word that's coming to mind of like proprioception of like knowing like where your body is in its own space and like knowing where your feet are and knowing like this sense of like how much space you take up and, and like we've been fractured from that in the modern world because we've been asked to like live in headspace. We've been asked to basically, you know, lead from a very, very unbalanced young place where we're being asked to take action before we've had a chance to actually sit with intentionality and you know, just to bring this back into the practicality of our real, real lives that are happening these days, you know, I find myself and and I'm wondering if you do this too, of like, not knowing how to 
act or respond or react when it comes to so many things that are happening in our current environment. You know, just this month, as we're recording this, um, there's this conflict that's happening in, in Russia and Ukraine, and there's, you know, this rush to take sides so quickly. And it's not just this, but also, you know, COVID has been like this as well. And so many political issues where there's this rush to act on just a performative yang space without actually doing that internal deep dive with the yin and ask our yin like, okay, so what's our intentionality here? And to me, that's where I feel like we lose that intimacy of self and also intimacy or the capacity to have intimacy with others. And like it sort of brings it back to the start of our conversation where it's like we forget that these people are also our brothers and sisters. I'm, I'm just loving what you're sharing, sister. You know, it, when we do live in that saturated young and uh, when we meet people, the first thing that perhaps comes up is suspicion uh, rather than a willingness to explore, mm. a willingness to be present and witness. Uh, the, the reaction is suspicion. Mm -hmm. And I want to put it like this. There's a way that we can satiate that. And we can also resource the yang, right? Let's satiate the yang by resourcing its own highest potential. How about that? Mm. And we do that by being as practical as possible. The yang is practicality. Yes. Let's be practical. So if I really perceive that my life is in imminent danger, if I'm in a crisis, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, before we react, let's validate that. How am I going to validate that? I'm going to observe my immediate environment, right? I'm going to look around. I'm going to name off things that I see. I'm going to do this with you, okay, my sister? Mm -hmm. I see a vine crawling up, a trellis right now. It looks really beautiful outside. I see this lemon tree that's in full bloom. The sky is changing colors ever so slightly. I smell celery because it's in my diffuser. I hear birds. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to say, Keoni, that to which we observed in our immediate environment, is our life in imminent danger? No. Mm -hmm. No. Of course, I can project. Yes, there's things happening in the world. But is my life in all its practicality at this moment in imminent danger? No. Therefore, I have the right and the space to discern. Yes. And that's very yin. Yeah. Discernment. Yeah. Because that leads to responsible action. I love that you named that it's we have the right to. Because oftentimes it doesn't feel like we have the right to because we live in such reactive spaces, especially with how quickly the news cycle moves these days. It's like we've lost that right. And I think you speak so beautifully around consent. And, and for me, the work that I'm actively doing right now, that's been, you know, quite honestly, a struggle is, is reclaiming that consent of, I have the right to wait and allow my yin to consent before I respond. And yes. yeah, thank you for, for just the language around that because it, you're right, it is, it is a right. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And you know, this, this really supports uh, the yang 
Uh, and if we uh, acknowledge that it has been quite clear that we have been influenced in patriarchy for quite some time, which can be that saturated yang. Uh, one thing about yang energy, uh, also in addition to practicality, it's incredibly logical. Mm -hmm. It's very logical. Now, here's the thing about logic. Um, there's nothing greater for logic than instructions. Now we're going to yin and the discernment. Mm -hmm. From discernment offers the instructions. Here's a great thing what's going to happen when the yang collides with instructions. It's going to formulate confidence. Mm -hmm. Now it's confident. Mm -hmm. It's not confused. It's not insecure. Yeah. It's not frightened. It has clear instructions. It can now not just be an architect or an engineer. It now can become an artisan. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and really come from that place of, of direction. And, you know, I think that that's, you know, the confidence piece is so key and important because, you know, if we check in with our nervous systems about what's happening when we are in that sympathetic fight, flight, freeze, fawn response, is all of those responses come from a lack of confidence. And rather, if we can move forward with aligned action from this place where you've digested information, and then from that digestion, you are putting that into aligned action, like to me, that's what, what true confidence is. Ooh, beautifully spoken, yes. And that's when the suspects turn into resources. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, and I also just want to mirror what you're sharing about consent. And uh, this is one of the most beautiful ways that we can invigorate our yin, our, our sacred feminine, is to revitalize the right of consent. Um, this is going to really also offer the opportunity for the masculine, for the young, to once again, uh, not just admire, but respect mm -hmm. the feminine. When there's a revitalization and an affirmation of the power of consent. Yeah, yeah. And if we can ask our feminine to really step into that and own it. Because I think that, you know, I, I look back in my life and I almost was asking my, my masculine to step in and do that for me. And when we do that, it comes from this place of like rigid and hard boundaries and from this place of like protection with prickles and mm. really it doesn't have to be that way when we allow our feminine to step into the seat of consent yes sister and i i love to share it like this because this has been my experience uh many people are triggered by the word boundary because they automatically perhaps feel it's about rejection. However, boundaries are more about invitation mm -hmm. than it is about rejection because now we are being removed of assumptions. Mm -hmm. We are being clear mm -hmm. of how we are willing to show up and interact. And this has taken us back to sacred boundaries. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it's about how we are being more clear and fluent about our willingness and potential to interact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like I could just talk to you for hours. 
<laughs> I know we just met, but I just I yeah. I love how you look at the world and I and I love that you bring it into this like beautifully poetic and um there's a slowness and a thoughtfulness that I really appreciate in in just the way that you speak. Um I would love to mm, there's a couple of questions that I've been asking my um my guests and this is kind of a new thing that I'm doing for this season. Um and actually I one of the inspirations for asking these questions was something that you shared on one of your podcasts that just like opened up something in my mind. Um, I think that you had said that you participate in trauma willingly. Mm-hmm. And I found those words to be so healing. And when I think about so many of these wounds that we all carry around as human beings, um, these, these stories around trauma that we carry around, it's almost like they're, they're two sides of the same coin of our purpose. You know, another yeah. way to say that is we, we've all had to walk through our traumas and walk through our wounding in order to get to our purpose, in order to get to, in my, in my words, um, Tao and alignment. And so I think just to have a resonance with the audience here, um, are you willing to share how you have had to fragment or abandon yourself to survive in this world? And then on the flip side of that, how did reclaiming those parts of yourself lead you to a purposeful life? Yeah, mahalo. Yes, sacred trauma. I first want to say, my kupuna, my elders would say, uh, through your journey of life, you will be offered two paths. One path is called grace. You get to choose grace. Remember that, boy. You get to choose grace. However, if for any reason grace is not interesting to you, it's okay because you have another path. It's called trauma. Mm. No matter what you choose, you will end up at the same exact space. And I just want to share this. My Kupuna uh, says there's no shame in the route of trauma. But remember this, that trauma may be a lot more destructive than grace. Mm-hmm. Not just for you, but for everyone around you. Yeah. And trauma is an activator. It is an opportunity for realignment. And when many of us experience trauma, something doesn't happen that could happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's to hold counsel with the trauma. And when I say hold counsel, I mean, ask it, why are you here? Why are you here? Yes. What can I learn from you? Thank you. Thank you for being an impetus for my growth, for me to move through whatever is required to move through so that I can realign myself with grace. Why are you here? Mm-hmm. Um, I had a very long dance with trauma. I uh, first uh, was uh, diagnosed with stage four embryonal carcinoma. 
And that led me to an addiction to opiates. Mm. The opiate addiction lasted for seven years and it became so uh, pathological that I became a criminal. Mm. I was uh, uh, ultimately incarcerated because of the crimes that I've committed mm-hmm. um, uh, with my addiction to narcotics. Now, when I was in the uh, jail cell and I, I was at the point of breaking, mm-hmm. that was the degree of the trauma. When I say point of breaking, I was, I'm talking about idealization of suicide. Yeah. Something really beautiful happened because I had nowhere else to go but to face the trauma and just to look at it rather than escape, escape, escape. I looked at it and something beautiful happened, sister. When I looked at it, it wasn't as ugly as I thought. Mm. It was actually generous. Mm. It said, I'm just feeding you exactly what you've been asking for. So maybe you should be more clear about what you asked for. Mm. And so I said, okay, why are you here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> why are you here? And it says, to realign you with your purpose. Yeah. I love you. I want to realign you. I get to realign you with your purpose. Mm-hmm. And within that moment, I said, I am available. That's all I had to say. Mm-hmm. I'm available. I'm available to be realigned to my purpose. And I had a vision cat Mm -hmm. and the vision was of my grandmother's hands Mm -hmm. just her hands and once again this is poetic so I said I'm going to be a poet right now what does this represent what's my purpose my grandmother was offering me something what does she offer me the ike the knowledge my lineage my fern medicine that to which I teach today and it was that moment in that jail cell at the epitome of deprivation, did I become my highest potential? I said, that's it. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm going to do. That's what's going to be most interesting to me. That's going to be my contribution and my whole life changed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I'm hearing is that, you know, the, the depths of the capacity opened up for you in that moment of being able to like the space that like to me I haven't heard this story yet but to me it makes sense how you are able to hold space is because you've had to hold space for yourself first in that jail cell in the depths of you know consciousness shifting and you know I've I too have had moments in my life where I have had suicidal ideations and I've I've sat with that as well and what came through in those moments for me is that there was a part of me that needed to die but it was just a part And I had confused it with all of me needed to die. Mm. And so when I could separate out the parts and look at them and instead of being like, oh, that doesn't work for me anymore. I'm just going to push that aside. Like I looked at her and recognized that she had helped me survive 
that this was actually a part of me that I had created and and some of that was in the trauma creation but like I had created in order to help me move through a particular phase in my life and just because I'm out of that phase doesn't mean that that part of me was bad you know Mm -hmm. it was just that that part of me no longer serves and so we can create a funeral for her and let her rest Mm -hmm. because she had been working Mm. so hard to keep me alive Mm. and you know I'm hearing that resonance in your story too like I feel so deeply like I know what that that pit feels like um and and I think that at least for myself, and it sounds like for you as well, like it opened up this capacity for, for, for me to be able to hold space for any, like people have told me all sorts of things that have happened in their life and none of it shakes me, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Through, throughout our life. Thank you for sharing this. Mm, thank you. My sister. And you know, throughout our life, we will come to many junctions where we outgrow and surpass aspects of ourselves. And if we are more interested in the mechanics of patriarchy, it's too much of a risk to let that go because it's familiar. Mm. It may be harmful, but it's familiar. That to which is familiar, there's a perception that it can be controlled rather than discerning with the yin with the feminine and saying, I am available to evolve Mm -hmm. into the mystery of that to which I am. And there was trepidation for me at first, but now I do it with great joy because there is an incredible trust Mm -hmm. in the sophistication of the nature of who I am and the nature of consciousness itself. My Kupuna would always say, this is a world without error. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I will hold actual ceremonies, funerals for parts of myself when I move through big moments in my life now. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think that, and, and this is something that I, I love about traditional medicines is there is no negative emotion. And so like we have this fear in Western culture around grief specifically. We aren't allowed to be sad or grieve. And and so I think that it stops us from having these funerals of ourselves when they're necessary and when they're timely and when they're needed. And mm-hmm. I've had thousands of funerals of versions of myself and I know that there's going to be thousands more before I am actually laid to rest. And to me, there's a comfort in that now that I've been through many sheddings. Um, and, and yeah, there's just, when we don't allow ourselves full expression of emotions, which is why I, I think I was so drawn to fern medicine is you're making these emotions explicit. You're naming them. You are naming their gifts and their challenges. And in that 
in that way of just naming and putting language behind these things that we all feel, you know, um, I find that there's an alchemy that happens instead of a mutation. Because if, yeah, if we let grief, if we let sadness, if we let anger sit, um, it mutates into something that is quite Mm -hmm. harmful. Well, hello, thank you for sharing this because it's going to come back to one of the things we first began talking about, which is making things relatable, Mm. right? Placing it within our own experience. There's no greater uh, university or college uh, for the human being than something called trial and error (laughs) because that's what allows us to actually (laughs) truly discern that which is most honest. And you spoke of grief, and I would love an opportunity to introduce the audience to the fern of grief, which is really interesting because it happens to be a fern that was just on the floor in front of me, so it was ripe to talk about. (laughs) So um, the fern of grief is called Palai Hinehina. And when Palai Hinehina entered my field um, for conversation, it, it asked me first, it said, I'm interested in, in uh, your translation of what grief is. And so my original translation was, uh, had a lot to do with what the exterior noise was telling me, mm. the conditioning around grief. So I, on, I uh, answered in that honest way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, okay, you're about loss. You're about loss. And Palai Hinahina said, I honor that experience and translation, but I'm going to make a correction right now. I'm not about loss. I'm about completions. Mm. completions. And it was in that moment that I, for the first time in my life, hold grief as a triumph. Mm. And it became friendly. And just as you're saying about these aspects of ourselves that we outgrow and we hold funerals for and we pardon from our lives, now I can approach that as a triumph. Mm. It's a triumph because I've completed it. Mm, I love that so much. Again, like I feel like you're putting language and words to things that have been sitting in my body and sitting in my soul and have not necessarily like struggled to talk about, but um, I feel like I have so many words, (laughs) like I can just talk (laughs) and talk and talk. Like that's, I mean, maybe that's partially why I have, you know, an interview based uh, podcast, but there's a precision and a conciseness to how you say that. And as soon as you said it is a, a completion, my body said, yes, absolutely it is. And yeah. like we don't, and, and it brings me to like even just the way that we don't allow stress cycles to complete in our modern day mm-hmm. world. You know, I look at animals. Um, I, I work a lot with horses and after a horse has been frightened, it will shake. It'll just sit there. Its muscles will quiver and shake and it allows itself and it like huffs and puffs and like does makes all this noise and exhales. And that is the wisdom of the horse allowing that, you know, sometimes the stressful experience is a 
bag flying across the, <laughs> the, the lawn. But, you know, it has perceived it because it's a prey animal. It's perceived it as danger. Its body recognized it as danger. Cortisol, all those stress hormones ran through its body. And the completion process is actually the exhaling and the quivering of the muscles. And we don't allow our animal bodies to complete these cycles of stress as humans. And we've evolved these gigantic brains that tells us it is shameful to cry. It's weird that you're shaking. And then we have the capacity to shut that down. But it doesn't go anywhere. It gets locked into our cells. And so... What I'm hearing is that when we allow our, all the cycles to complete, really, um, whether it's stress or an emotional cycle or a story or a part of yourself that no longer serves, you know, we are allowing for the next cycle to begin as well, you know, and, mm. and, you know, what I see with the horses is they move on. Like they're completely fine to move on. <laughs> Humans don't right. move on as quickly, you know. Right. Yeah, that, that's such a beautiful. Thank you for for sharing that analogy because you know there's also the deer analogy mm -hmm. um, that I would love to share. You know, there's a family of deer grazing in a forest. Uh, a hunter approaches and fires, misses, but the deer recognize that as a threat, mm -hmm. so they scatter. They scatter from grazing. They scatter that area, they scatter. They are doing exactly what you're sharing. As they scatter and they determine that they have a place to which they can now experience the processing of that experience. Mm -hmm. Guess what happens five minutes later, Kat, when they also have determined that the threat is gone because their sense of smell, they don't smell that threat anymore. Yeah. So it tells them that threat has moved away. Guess what they do? Five minutes later, they go back to the same spot, the scene of the crime, <laughs> and graze again. Yeah. Now, I love to mirror this with, imagine humans sitting at a park uh, bench yeah. eating. Someone shoots at them, <laughs> misses, but they scatter this threat because this person maybe is apprehended, is taken away. Are these humans going to go back to that park bench and continue eating their meal? Right, right. Very unlikely, because just as you're saying, uh, we are told and conditioned to not express and to release ourselves and to complete and experience in its organic fashion. Yeah. We are in this current age being promoted to become more parts mechanical. Yeah and less organic and that's why for many the ai and the mecca culture uh, is so interesting because that's really the trajectory is moving away from the organic mm -hmm. and into the more mechanical aspect of living yeah yeah and i think that we lose so much when we do that you know if we only rely on like even in this situation that you're talking about, this analogy, you know, I've actually had that happen. I was mugged on the street once um, and it was on my way walking to work. And I, every time I passed by that street again, 
I had the same sort of reaction. I could recall the man's face. I could remember like every single detail because that's the thing that happens when you're in sympathetic is you hyper focus on these details. And um, luckily I had someone in my life who had the wisdom to be like, let's go there together. Let's go. I will be safe for you. And we'll just sit on that bench that's right by the place where you got mugged and we will sit there and you will breathe and allow your body to remember that this is not the story of this place. And, you know, it wasn't this immediate like click, but my body started remembering, actually, this is just another street this is right across from Whole Foods. Like, we're going to be okay. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, I think that that's what we, like, just to bring that into the reality of a human experience, not just a deer or a horse's experience, you know, can we create these rituals where we allow our bodies to, to sink into safety again? Not... Mm-hmm let the mind not let the um, non-organic parts of us the story um, take over um, Mm. and and actually allow the body to do the healing that it it wants to do like that's the thing with bodies is they always want to return back to homeostasis and balance yes yes and i love in your story you know you actually went back to that place so you know, once again, bringing up this conversation about placement mm-hmm. and practicality and being really practical. When we live in the analytical, most of our experiences in our day-to-day life is based in idealizations and projections. Yes. So we're not actually being placed. Yes. It's not an organic experience. Yeah. And uh, the more and more that becomes pathological, the more and more we rely on those idealizations to determine uh, our experience here. And that's where a lot of people can become very misguided and lost. And so I I feel like one of the greatest uh, things that we can hold in our field as organic human beings is this word called practicality. It's safe to be practical. I'm available for practicality. I get to be practical. I also get to honor the practicality of other human beings without imposing shame or judgment on the beautiful nature of practicality. Yes, yes. And I feel like we've been beating up a little bit on on yang, but this is actually what balanced yang looks like, is it brings that practicality forward, right? Yeah, and and yang and... Uh, is like celebrating that. Yes. Is saying, yes, yes, realign me. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I consent yes. to practicality yeah. that takes me away from all the idealizations of threat and harm that aren't really real. Mm-hmm. But if I fester in it long enough, I'll probably create it. Right, right. And when so we live removed- in. Go ahead. Oh, no, please go yeah. ahead. I was done, my sister. Um, It's like when we live in that world of projections, like how many times have you had that conversation with that person that you have conflict with in your head? And, you know, you go into, you know, you go into that conflict being like, I've already had this conversation. And so I know how this is going to go. And you almost make up a script for the other person 
in your head and then you run off of that script instead of being rooted in openness and the practicality of the masculine and the yang um you know one of the one of the imbalances of the feminine and the yin is that we're very good at making up stories you know <laughs> we're very good at at um, um there's a manipulation that happens because we want a particular outcome or we foresee a particular outcome and and i think that this is where you know just to to bring the medicine of 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 yang in is is we need that that rootedness that practicality yes yes because uh in that yin just as you're saying uh there is a potential for an idealization as well and in the yin the idealization is called fantasy mm -hmm. is to exist in a fantasy yeah, yeah. whether that's a, a happy fantasy or a unhappy fantasy it's not actually the reality of of what's happening right here in the moment with you right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well my dear i am just going to look over my notes real quick and see if i covered all the things that i wanted to talk about because i feel like we did so much i so appreciate <laughs> you being open to this conversation oh i'm more than happy thank you so much mm -hmm. and thank you for guiding my sister <laughs> yeah well i feel complete unless you feel like there's something else you would like to add we can just sort of i i feel complete as well and i i just want to share and remind our audience mahalo thank you everyone for listening uh if there's anything to to really integrate from our this conversation i would uh love to just remind everyone that we have the ability and capacity to become available for practicality once again. And we can just begin with saying that and just placing that in our field. I'm available for practicality and just observe how that begins to play out in our daily lives. It's really a process of titration. Uh, the human race has become so addicted to immediate results that we're never really satisfied. So one, th uh, the first thing is just to allow oneself to become available. Yeah. And then just see how that begins to unfold. And like I was saying, practicality seems very ripe in our field right now, especially with everything that's going on. Yeah, yeah. And you gave us such a beautiful exercise. I just want to highlight, you know, when you are looking around your room and naming the things in your visual field, naming the things in your auditory field, in, you know, what you can smell, like that is one of the the fundamental practices of bringing practicality into like an, an actual form and an actual practice and that is that's that's one of the first baby steps to take is where are you in time and space right now are you an actual threat are you in actual danger and can you respond from the place that you're actually in right now instead of the the fantasy of where you think you are yeah and, and the current moment the current placement and the honesty of the practical placement it will always be fair mm -hmm. it will always be fair mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well my love um 
can you please share with folks how we can find you, what your beautiful offerings are? Um, as I've shared earlier, I, I absolutely love your podcast. It is such a, a, a wonderful gift for those of you who are listening, start out with episode two, like, and for me, like, I think it's only like a 40, your episodes are pretty short. Um, but I spend the time with like a notepad and like my tea and, you know, take notes. And so it ends up being actually like an hour long process because I feel like I'm in like student it's spongy mode. So folks go listen to Kaoni's podcast. It is an absolute gift. Oh, mahalo. Thank you so much. Yeah. The Pohalo podcast and, um, you can find links to uh, anything that I'm collaborating with, whether that be my podcast or virtual workshops. I host that anyone around the world is, is welcome to on my website, pohala.net. Um, I have a really active Instagram account where I uh, show up nearly daily to talk about certain ferns and how they correlate to our current situation. I call it the fern cast. Um, and my Instagram is pohala underscore Hawaiian underscore botanicals. Please join me there. And um, I also have an online store where I uh, host and collaborate with uh, the fern medicine to where I distill and extract either by way of hydrosols tinctures or also oils and mists. So um, my website might be a really interesting place just to browse pohala.net. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I'll have all those links in the show notes for folks to easily grab. And thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful to you. I'm so grateful to this audience and aloha to everyone. Mm, wonderful. Mm.